Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry, and with me tonight is my special guest, Sean White. How are you doing, Sean? Good. Thank you, Craig. It's a wonderful evening to do this. It's been a week since we've gotten together to discuss Isaiah, and after working through some technical difficulties tonight, I think we're ready to go. Would you please uh, tell our listeners what Isaiah 20 is all about? Here in this chapter, I'll address these verses in the same paragraph structure in which they were written in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in hopes that we can get more meaning by the way they're grouped together. Isaiah is speaking to the Egyptians, meaning the Americans. This happens after the midpoint of the tribulations, in a time when the king of Assyria has invaded the promised land of America. He is focused on those that have still not turned their hearts and minds back to God. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 6 from the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the year that Tartan came to Ashdod, when Sargon the king of Syria sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and took it. At that time Yahweh spoke by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from off your waist, and take your shoes from off your feet. He did so, walking naked and barefoot. Yahweh said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder concerning Egypt and concerning Ethiopia, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Ethiopia, young and old, naked and barefoot, and with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. They will be dismayed and confounded because of Ethiopia, their expectation and of Egypt their glory. The inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is our expectation, where we rely for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and we, how will we escape? The meaning of the name Ashtod is diffusion, inclination, and theft. Anciently, Ashtod was a Canaanite fortress. At one time, the prophet Josiah spoke out against the Israelites living in the Ashtod area because they had intermarried with Canaanites and forgotten the covenants they made with God. Ashtod was captured by Uzziah and given back to the tribe of Judah. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, we saw that Uzziah was a righteous, then turned wicked in his later years. It was at this point that Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent a tartan. Today we would consider a tartan a general of the army. The tartan captured Ashad from Uzziah and took the people captive. Now going to the part of the verse, Go and loosen the sackcloth from off your waist. Take the shoes off your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. God had Isaiah walk naked and barefoot for three years to prepare him to be the man God wanted him to be. The sackcloth, which was a coarsely woven cloth made of goat's hair, it was often itchy and uncomfortable, but was worn when one was trying to mourn or connect with God in humbleness. It was like fasting. It was a sacrifice of oneself to wear this. God said he had his servant Isaiah take off the sackcloth and take off his shoes from his feet. In the temple, we take off our shoes as a prayer. we prepare to receive new blessings and new responsibility. 
Isaiah did not literally walk naked and barefoot. This means that God sent him without a purse or a script, as he did with his apostles in Luke 22, verse 35. Jesus instructs his disciples or followers in Matthew 6, Luke 12, 3 Nephi 13, 28, DNC 84, 80, verse 82, to consider the lilies of the field, which do not labor or spin. They are to completely trust in God and not concern themselves with their worldly needs as they work to build up the kingdom of God. Elder Kimball served his mission. It was still customary for missionaries to travel without purse or script, as in DNC 8478, relying on the hospitality, hospitality and goodwill of friends and strangers alike. He's quoted as saying in the conference report of April 1921 on page 178, I went on one trip in Virginia with a young elder and to say with a good deal of pride, 600 miles without a purse and without a script, without friends. No man had ever heard the voice of a Mormon elder where we traveled. We left a trail behind us, a trail that our other elders traveled. And at no time during that three months did I sleep outdoors, but I came mighty near it a lot of times. I thought the Lord had surely forsaken us at times, but when it came to the last test, someone's heart was softened, and they fed us, and they gave us a bed so that we had no use for money. Now, this is Jay Golden Kimball, correct? Yes, he okay. was Jay Golden Kimball. Okay. And so as we, you know, this is pretty special to think that, you know, in prepar- Isaiah, in preparation for his role and calling, he had to put all of his trust in Heavenly Father. Many people out there awakening uh, to their roles in the future days might have to go through similar tests of putting all their trust in Heavenly Father's hands and uh, to prepare them for their next calling or their role by putting all their faith and trust in him going on now as my servant isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years for a sign and a wonder concerning egypt and concerning ethiopia so the king of assyria will lead away the captives of egypt and the exiles of ethiopia young and old naked and barefoot with buttocks uncovered to the shame of egypt To see your buttocks in a dream represent your instincts and urges. It may also indicate feelings of insecurity. It may reveal your struggles with someone. Here we see the king of Assyria taking the captives, meaning those that did not gather as the servant suggested. These captives then go without the things in life that make them comfortable. They have to rely on God for all their needs. This is an embarrassment to them. They are dismayed and confounded because they were once powerful, arrogant people that dominated world affairs. They will be dismayed and confounded because of Ethiopia, their expectation, and out of Egypt, their glory. Anciently, Ethiopia was where the rich and affluent people lived in luxury. It was a center for trading with many other countries. God is saying that the people are expecting the king of Assyria, to stabilize them and help them become more wealthy. The inhabitants of this coast 
land will say in that day, behold, this is our expectation where we rely on help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we how and how we excuse me, I'll go back. And we how will we escape? They ask, are we to rely on the help from the king of Assyria? How are we to escape from his clutches and enslavement? They really expected the king of Assyria to help them and to make their lives better, but instead they are enslaved and brought to a meager existence, totally dependent upon the king of Assyria for all their needs. This was all a part of God's plan to humble his children and again allow them to turn their hearts and minds back to him. Over and over, he says, his hand is outstretched to receive those that turn back to him. So this reminds me of they've got two two strings of uh, streams of thoughts here. Um, one's going to be personal, Sean, and one's going to be Book of Mormon. Let's go with Book of Mormon first. This this sounds a lot like uh, the people who went back, the Nephites who went back to the land of Nephi. They were anxious and zealous to possess the land of their forefathers and went right into the bed of the Lamanites who allowed them to prosper and grow, possibly with ulterior motives. And then as they became wicked, they began to have to pay heavy taxes and were basically enslaved, right? Yeah. By the Lamanites. And what did it take for them to get out of that situation? They really had to humble themselves and get on their knees. And the Lord was slow to hear their prayers at first because they were slow to hear him. Sounds fair, but unfortunate. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, does, there, does that is that a pattern we're seeing here? Is as Isaiah was basically trained to become one hundred percent reliant upon the Lord. Uh, as we move <clears throat> into more challenging times, is that the same test that? United States is going to face or that we're going to face? Exactly. I think it comes in somewhat of a wave. There's many people that I see that have missions in which they might be called to be the last laborers in the kingdom, as in Jacob 5 talks about, or uh, maybe if some of the 144,000 or other groups that would help out in the last days, there are many, many different roles of early people that awaken but during this time, they you'll experience loss of jobs, loss of uh, housing, loss of other things. It's all a design to help you put all of your trust and faith in Heavenly Father. And then these early people that have gone through this and become strong in the faith of God and trusting God will help others when they go through this experience so that they can help them find the answers and help them find the path back to this one-on-one -on -one relationship with our Heavenly Father and Christ. Well, if you don't mind, Sean, I'd like to, <clears throat> uh, to me, this is about, about faith. Uh, how do we know the voice of the Lord? How do we learn the voice of the Lord? How do we learn to trust in the voice of the Lord? And can we start doing that 
today in anticipation of these bigger events happening, right? Because we're being told you've got to learn to follow the spirit. This is a message from the top down. Uh, This is a message that President Nelson, the president of the church, has harped on uh, repeatedly. And I'd like to, I've probably shared this in another podcast before I was uh, assisting you in presenting your views on the book of Isaiah. I'd like to restate it today because, and it's my story doesn't change because this is my seminal story about learning about faith, like in a way that I have never forgotten. And so I hope this will help someone out there or maybe more than one person. So let me just tell the story real quick. I was a missionary uh, in the Ro- Italy Rome mission, and I was called to serve in a city called Latina. My brother, coincidentally, or not coincidentally, was also a missionary in the Italy Rome mission. He taught a woman in this uh, in that city, and uh, he and I are two years apart. So he was actually coming home from Italy when I Rome, Italy, when I was going to Rome, Italy, and his last city was Latina. He'd also been there there the year before and taught this woman who wanted to be baptized. She had uh, received a a witness or a testimony, and she wanted to be part of it. But circumstances with her marital relationship prevented that. So we do these things called companion inventories, where we talk about to our companion. We did it on a Sunday night. What are our plans for the following week? We both had a distinct impression that we needed to challenge her that it was her time to be baptized. It was a very clear impression. Um, I want to read this verse from Alma 32. Alma 32 is the big chapter about faith, planting a seed, letting it grow. If it bears good fruit, it's a good thing. If it's not good fruit, it's it'll die or bear bad fruit. So this is the verse I want to hone in on. It's very similar to a verse in the book of Hebrews, but I think this is actually a better stated explanation of faith which academically doesn't you know really sound um it's i didn't know what it meant i could just read it to you but i i want to give you some context of this verse and now as i said concerning faith faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things therefore if you have faith ye hope for things which are not seen which are true so it's hope in things that are that are not seen they're true um, and then, of course, you can develop this this perfect knowledge uh, down the road. So c- applying that to my situation, we were praying about who we should contact, who we should teach, what what how we should spend our time the next week. And the spirit told us you need to focus on this this woman. And I had never met her. Uh, I don't know even know how the name came. Oh, I think my part my companion had been a partner or companion to my brother the year before in that city. Maybe he had taught her before, even. Anyway, what happened is we started to call her on the phone. Now, I don't, I didn't speak Italian very well. I'd only been out for two or three months in Italy, so I was still learning. Uh, so my companion did most of the talk, did all the talking with her. And he reported back to me. I was in the room. He was on the phone. And first, they called a member of the church. She was her friend and said, hey, we want to ask her if she'll be baptized uh with the spirit telling us we got to we got to challenge her and she's like no 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 you cannot challenge her to be baptized 
her husband is physically abusive and he's very against her being baptized and joining the church. That's why she's not a member. You cannot ask her. It, it's going to be very bad for her. You want her, you want her to get beat up? Uh, no, no, we don't. Okay, so don't ask her. So uh, that was like Monday or Tuesday. So then at some point, my companion decided to give her a call on the phone and talk to her directly. And he asked her, hey, look, uh, we had this impression about getting baptized. Oh, no, 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 I can't do it. It'll be terrible for me if I do it. Of course, you know, we're not going to push it or force it, but this is the impression we had. We knew so much that that was from the Lord. That in, in where I was serving, we didn't have baptismal fonts where you could go into a chapel and or into a room, you know, in a church building and turn on the faucet and fill it up with water. We had to put a portable font, which was made out of rubberized material, uh, waterproofed, and we would put poles up and we'd fill the, we'd have to fill it with a hose and then drop a heating coil to get the war, water warm. And that was, the chapel was adjacent to our apartment. So on the same floor we had, were the living quarters, and then we had a little chapel for this very small branch of members. So we went out and there, we, we set it up. This is like a Thursday or Friday. And I mean, looking back at the time, I was like, what are we doing? I, she hasn't even talked to her husband. She can't talk to him. But we started to fast on a Friday, that end of the week. We had the font filled. We were fasting. Um, the next morning, we were in a what's called a district meeting where we have four four missionaries. We were we have a devotional. We basically read scripture or two. We maybe practice Italian grammar. Uh, we pray together before we go out to uh, talk to people. And while we were sitting there, and after right after we'd broken our fast, we got a phone call from her, and she said, you're not going to believe it. I decided to ask my husband, and he said yes. And the next day, Sunday, uh, she was baptized, a member of the church, and given the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I could describe sometimes the joy I felt. It was, like, amazing. But I didn't learn the lesson. I didn't understand what had just mm -hmm. happened. Every every month for the rest of my mission, we would set goals. We want to baptize, you know, a family. We want to baptize an individual, and that's good to have goals. But it was never a prompting by the Spirit. I'm not saying it was a bad goal. I'm saying the chances of it happening or not happening were completely unknowable. So I had the opportunity after my mission to go teach at the mission training center, teach Italian. Uh, prepare missionaries to go out into the mission field. And and so I was attending a training meeting for teachers, and the president of the mission training center uh, got up to give a talk. And he talked about this time. I'm not going to use the general authority's name, but he said he was at this meeting. He was on the stand ne sitting next to the, to the general authority. I think it was an apostle at the time. I'm not sure. doesn't matter. But they're on the stand, and he must have been the stake president or or something, because he was sitting next to this general authority. And this general authority says, I would like to know who in the audience, this is the, at the end of the meeting, who in the audience is not a member of the church, uh, who's a male member, head of household, pays tithing, follows the commandments, but he, they don't, they have not been baptized. And he said, I, I identified or we identified about six or seven 
men in the audience that fit this description. He said, I would like you to announce at the end of the meeting, we're going to have a baptism service. Okay, so they got up. This is very unusual. This is not part of this type of meeting. He gets up and he um, announces about there will be baptisms. There will be baptisms or a baptismal service at the end of the meeting. This uh, very uh, strong, tall general authority stands up, gets off the stand, walks over to the first man identified, and he grabs him by the hand, he pulls him up, and as this mission president described it, he said, Brother so-and-so, what size pants do you wear? Mm-hmm. Well, that's code for I'm going to put white clothes on you and, and you're going to be baptized. And the man knew it and said, oh, no, I'm not being baptized. He said, I didn't ask you if you're being baptized. I asked you what size pants you wore. And, of course, the man was baptized and all of the identified male members or soon-to-be members, they were all baptized. And at the time I heard the story, before he finished, I thought, oh, my gosh, if I just had more faith or exercise more courage or more whatever, vim or fervor, I mean, I could have done even, I could have done more. But I still hadn't learned a lesson until this next thing he said. He said that this general authority told him that while he was on the stand, the Spirit told him all of those things. If you will challenge the male members who are head of household, who pay tithing and go to church but have never baptized, to be baptized, they will be baptized tonight. And that is why this general authority um, did that. And then I said, oh, okay. That's the lesson I learned in the first three months of my mission. The Spirit (laughs) spoke to us and told us she would be baptized. And all we had to do was exercise faith, which was what? Because faith is the moving cause of all action. If you go read the lectures on faith by Joseph Smith, you learn, I'm not sure if it's lecture three, but you learn that faith is the moving cause of all action. That even God, when he formed the planets, and he quotes from Hebrews chapter 11, I think, even the planets were formed by faith. It's the moving cause. If we don't have faith, we don't do anything. But but if God whispers in your ear and tells you something ahead of time, before it actually becomes a reality, that's faith, if you act on it. Faith is not having a wish or a whim or a desire with no spiritual backing. Faith is when the Spirit tells you that it can happen. And once I learned that lesson, it unlocked something in me that I've been able to draw upon from time to time. I want to tell you a story about this general authority because his brother, who was our regional representative at BYU, told a story about their family and how his brother learned the principle. This is interesting how it all tied together because this is like another couple of years later. He told the story about when they were younger and they were they learned a lesson from their father. Here's the story that he told. We were sitting at night in the front room Dad was reading the paper, and all of a sudden, Dad gets up and runs out the back door. Here's the story that their dad would retell the family often. He was sitting in their chair reading a paper, and the Spirit said, put down the paper and go out the back door. Put down the paper. He starts to walk towards the back door, and the Spirit said, don't walk, run. He runs out the back door. And as he is leaving the house, there is a horse that is going by, I guess at a gallop or whatever, 
pretty fast. I think he said gallop, but it doesn't matter. The horse was passing by fast. He saw the horse and he grabbed the reins and I think it was getting close to dark. And as the horse was going by, he noticed that this general authority's shoe was stuck in the stirrup and he was being dragged along the ground and his head was hitting the ground. Uh-huh. He would tell the story to the kids and he would say, when the spirit tells you to act, you act. Because if I hadn't acted, your brother, and he said his name, would would be dead right now. And he said that was just emblazoned in their minds. So now I know why this later general authority was willing to act because he had been taught by his father when the spirit speaks, you need to act. We've heard the stories in church about, you know, Thomas S. Monson talking about a prompting to go to the hospital to see one of the women in the ward. And he, he delayed and she passed away before he could get there. And the regret, but the lesson he learned not to deny, not to, not to ignore it. So I want to tell you an example of how this applied later outside of the missionary bubble in my life. Um, I had an impression to move my family and move to a different city. It was a very clear impression. I knew what the impression was. I knew it was from the Lord. Didn't have to question it because I, uh, it was just, I won't go through the process, but it's the same thing. The spirit said, you're supposed to move. And this is the city I want you to move to. It was very, very clear. We put our house up for sale immediately. We went to the city. We looked for a house. We found a house. We put a large down deposit on the house. We didn't have to put it down so much, but we were so sure we had to move that we just did it, you know? So now we go to sell the house. We have like, I don't know, eight weeks to sell. Not a lot of time. And um, we didn't have any takers. And the time was ticking, 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 ticking. And finally, we got down to, I don't know, two, three weeks before the time was going to run that we're going to lose this large deposit. I'm pretty sure that the homeowner was, you know, rubbing their hands. Hopefully we would default because they'd get some free money from the earnest money deposit. Anyway, um, my wife and I took a walk in the park one night, put the kids to bed. I'm sure somebody was watching the kids. Anyway, we're out walking in this park. It was late at night. It was like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. It was dark. And she was expressing so much worry and concern about how we're going to do this. You know, what we're going to do. And I just said very clearly, I said, the selling the house is not our problem. It's God's problem. (laughs) Because we had done everything we've been told to do. If it wasn't going to work out, not our problem. But if God wanted us to move, he had to make something happen. That's I just knew from experience that that voice, that prompting was, when it's that clear, you just don't doubt. And so within a few days before the time ran uh a family who had pre-qualified for a loan to buy a house came along loved our house got the inspections done they needed to get done very quickly and the day that we had to pay the pay for the home the money hit our account and we were able to make the payment for the new house it was down to the last day wow. and and it happened. And I, I bear witness that if you learn the voice of the Lord, 
And I wish I could say I've always listened to it. Or more importantly, I wish that I could say that everything I acted on in my life was because the spirit prompted me. I've done a lot of things that wasn't a prompting. And I did it because I wanted to, and it didn't work out. But I bear witness that every single time that I have had a an impression and I have acted on that impression, the Lord, it's like he moves all the obstacles. I, I can't explain it. I can only bear witness to it. And I think I think that's the kind of faith that the Lord wants us to have. I never had, you know, we don't do purse or script anymore, Sean, as you know, for, as missionaries. And I like the fact that Jay Golden Kimball lamented the fact that the missionaries aren't learning this principle. How are we going to learn if we don't do purse or script? But we do have these moments in our lives where we kind of roll the dice on an impression. And I believe that if we will practice that, number one, yeah. we'll get more impressions. And you just have to hang in there and trust the Lord because there is a trial period. You receive no witness until a trial of your faith. I'm pretty sure that's a scripture somewhere. So you're going to yeah. be tried. It's not going to be like the clouds part and it's going to be like this easy thing. No, no, you're going to go through it. And I, I just want to tell those stories because I think that goes, that maybe personalizes. And what, what you've done is you've shown how the Lord personalized for Isaiah, you know, the kind of trust we needed to have in the Lord. And I know that you've had these experiences too. Yeah. Uh, when we had felt an urging that we needed to move from California back to Utah, uh, it was so interesting because I knew that God wanted us to do it, and and I kept refusing and refusing. And uh, when I finally just went to Heavenly Father and says, "There is no way that we can do this. There, there's just no way." And but I says, "If you want us to, I am open to whatever you have for us." And in two weeks, literally, we were moved to Utah. It happened so fast; it was hard to comprehend when I handed our will over to Heavenly Father to do what he had asked us to do. Um, it was so shocking. A lot of my impressions, Sean, like that have come from the moving, you know, where to move the family, where to live, when to change uh, residences, when to build things. I mean, so I get these major impressions from time to time. I'm sure there's lots of little impressions, but the ones that stick out are the life-changing ones when I had to uproot a family or use our finances in a certain way. And I just wish that I had received confirmation about some of the decisions that I you know, made without the Spirit, because by and large, they you don't know it's a crapshoot if it's going to work out or not. It, no guarantees, no guarantees. I know that's a long a tale to add on to this uh, six verse chapter but i hope it illustrates the point that you're making so well about and and that isaiah was uh willing to write it down frankly he's he's talking about how he had to be humbled and and learn how to become dependent on the lord and we too it has a pattern for us to follow and everyone in the future so to not feel downtrodden but just know that we're being prepared for something greater and something more glorious. So just to reiterate uh, Alma 3221, faith is not having a perfect knowledge, but it's having a hope 
And that hope comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and gives us hope about an outcome. And then we just have to follow through on it. And then eventually, once it's accomplished, we, we do get a perfect knowledge. And so anyway, enough of that. Um, Sean, did you want to add anything else to Isaiah chapter no. 20? No. Okay. This is such a good chapter. Thank you, Craig. I'm, I uh, want to thank you for, I didn't know I was going to talk about that, but uh, when you were reading for that <laughs> man, I, this is a story I need to retell. I'm so grateful wow. that all those pieces came together that I could see the full story and, and also have the opportunity to have my faith tried. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to have more opportunities as we are be- going to become increasingly dependent upon the Lord. Uh, the collective number of stories about people who operated on faith in our church is remarkable. Um, there are so yeah. many examples, but if you will look at the, if you will look at the thread, the common thread is receiving an impression and then acting yeah. on that impression. That is the key. So if you don't have it happening, my recommendation is ask the Lord, say, Lord, please give me an impression so that I can learn how to exercise faith. Amen. Um, Okay. Well, Sean, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. And we are going to reconvene soon to uh, cover Isaiah 21 and 22. We might cover them out of order. But the listeners won't know that. We've you've got Isaiah 22 teed up, <laughs> ready to go. Still trying to Sounds work through Isaiah 21. And once you feel like you're locked in on that, we'll we'll do that one and then we'll put them in order. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. This has All been right. Vision of Zion. Thank you for listening. <laughs>